Well, did you know uh, that infants are born with approximately 300 bones, but by the time they reach adulthood, they only have 206. It's a pretty cool design that God uh, has given with those uh, bones that are, you know, extra pliable. So if you accidentally fumble a baby, uh, they're probably going to be okay. I'm not speaking from experience. Uh, I assure you I've never fumbled one of my children, but if you did, maybe you'd be all right. Uh, or did you know that your body uh, has between 60,000 and 100,000 miles of blood vessels uh, going through it, enough to wrap around the earth more than three times uh, if you took them all out and strung them end to end? It's kind of gross to think about that, right? How much uh, blood vessel stuff there is inside of us. Or did you know that pound for pound bones are stronger than steel? Apparently, if you uh, took a piece of bone and crunched it down to the size of a matchbox, it could hold up to 18,000 pounds of pressure. That's nine tons. It's pretty amazing, right? God has designed our human bodies in some remarkable ways. Well, this morning, we're continuing on in our second week uh, in the series called God's Glorious Church. Uh, and each week through this four-part series, we're discovering more and more of who God has called us to be as his people, as the church, as those who are following after Jesus and have been washed by his blood. This amazing human body is going to be our primary illustration as we work through the text this morning. If you were here last week for the first week in this series, you remember that we asked the question, who are you? We looked at the book of First Peter in chapter 2, and Peter identified Christians and the church as sort of five different things in chapter 2, verses 9 uh, and 10. And I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week or you missed that, to go back and listen to that sermon, or better yet, just sit with the text uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 for a while and just see the five things that Peter identifies uh, as we're called as God's church and as his people. Well, this week we're going to be asking that same question. Who are you? But we're going to look at a different book, a different author, and a different uh, illustration for our answer. So uh, I made this slide and I did it incorrectly. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 is not correct. We'll be in 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Uh, verses 12 to 27. And so if you have a paper Bible, you can go ahead and open that up. Uh, if you use our YouVersion uh, app, you can open that to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27. If you're normally a note taker on your phone with YouVersion, uh, YouVersion's having some issues this morning, so our notes aren't showing up. Uh, if you need those to follow along, there are some paper copies at the back you can go grab. Uh, if you don't have a phone or a paper Bible with you, uh, we have Bibles at the back, and you can follow along that way. I'm preaching from the CSB this morning. Uh, so all the Bible options, love to have you follow along uh, as we work through the text. So with that, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. Paul writes this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. 
And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body and that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Who are you? You've probably uh, already guessed, but Paul gives us our answer in verse 27. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. We're going to work through and ask some questions of our text now as we go back through these verses. So first question, what defines this body? Well, verse 12 tells us that this body has many parts made up of many people, right? But it's one body. The human body is an amazing thing and a great illustration, right? All these limbs and organs and hormones and fluids and on and on. It's remarkable. If you've ever taken even just a high school level biology class, you know how amazing the human body is, even if it's not easy to understand how all of that works together. It's made up of so many different essential pieces, right? And Paul tells us that we as Christians, as the church, are like the human body body. We're all made different. We all serve different functions. We have different roles. We have different strengths and weaknesses, different gifts and abilities. And yet, we are all part of one body, having been baptized by one spirit. Whether Jews or Greeks, he says, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. We've all been washed by the same blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're equal in righteousness before God. Though we are created as unique and different individuals, we make up, Paul says, one body. We could uh, camp on just this unity piece all morning. And to be honest, it's going to flow through all of this text. But it's so, so critical that we understand that we have to be united as the body of Christ. Peter talks about the idea of unity. Paul talks about here. Jesus himself references it in John chapter 13 when he tells us that the world will will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. We have to be united in love if we're going to witness to the world. We are one body. That includes the people that you get along with and the people that you struggle to connect with, the people who choose your parenting style and the people who do things differently. The people who've been Christians for five minutes or for 50 years, the people who dress in ways that you think are appropriate and those who uh, dress in ways that you question. Those who you like and uh, who you don't like and those who think about the world like you do and those whose ideologies contradict everything that you stand for. We are one body, united in the spirit and called together by God For this particular congregation, at this particular time in history, and for the particular purpose of declaring the gospel in this community and around the world. Have you ever considered that before as you've shown up on Sunday mornings, that God called you here 
Crossview Church with this group of believers at this time in history, right? You could have been born at any point and you could have been born anywhere around the world and you could have ended up in any place, but you ended up here. God called you here for the benefit of other believers and for yours. He called you here so that you can contribute to the body. You can serve as you're gifted and as there's need. You can pray for, encourage, challenge, and otherwise build up other believers. And God has called those other believers here to work on you, to challenge you, to soften your sharp edges, and to open up your view of what life as a Christian can look like. People that disagree with you are an absolute gift that must be received with gratitude. Just a quick pastoral tangent uh, here. One of the reasons uh, that it's so important to physically gather as a, as a congregation is this idea of being united and contributing and being contributed to. I know that there are health reasons why people may temporarily choose not to come together in person uh, as God's people, and those are absolutely legitimate, right? We, we did that la- not that long ago. Just last year, we stopped gathering for a period uh, so that we could be safe. But I want to challenge you, especially if you haven't been here in a while. Ask yourself, are you choosing to stay home for health reasons that are real and are a legitimate threat? Or have you gotten into a convenient rhythm so you don't have to deal with any of the inconveniences of gathering as a church body? I can't answer that question for you. Only you know why you're staying away. But I can tell you that you need God's people in your life to love you to care for you, to correct and encourage and pray with and have fellowship with. We need God's people in our lives. And for those in person who are here gathered this morning in this room, keep coming. Keep keep coming. You may have crabby kids or a crabby spouse one morning or you may feel like you don't look your best or maybe you even need an attitude adjustment yourself, right? That happens. I'm not the only one that wakes up crabby some Sunday mornings, right? We've all been there. But don't let that keep you from gathering with God's people and just thinking, ah, I can just watch it later on a computer or I can just turn on the stream and I'll get everything out of it, the same as if I was in person. You can't. You can't get everything out of it when you're just watching on a screen. One of the challenges of thinking that only participating online is the same thing as gathering physically is that you can experience the gospel being declared when you're watching a screen, but you can't experience it being displayed. You can hear the pastor preach, right? You can see the worship team leading as the cameras pan out. You might even be able to see God's people worshiping together. You can see it declared, but you can't challenge and you can't be challenged by your fellow believer. You can't pray and you can't be prayed for. You can't carry one another's burdens or encourage one another through life's difficulties. All these conversations and bearing with one another and being with each other in the foyer that happens after the service, all of those holy interactions, it doesn't happen when we just engage with a screen. Gathering together as God's people is absolutely critical for your sake and for the sake of your brothers and sisters. The gathered church is central to God's plans for his people. So, if you've stayed away for a variety of reasons, I want to invite you back. Come back and gather again with God's people. Embrace the holy inconvenience of gathering, of waking up and getting ready and 
bringing your family along. It's in so many of those places that God meets us and grows us and sanctifies us. Come, encourage and be encouraged. Challenge and be challenged. Refine one another. Pray with one another. Reflect the glory of Jesus Christ in blessed unity, gathered with your brothers and sisters and co-heirs in the gospel. Imagine if we were a church where this description rang true, where we were a people who came together in one spirit to love one another and represent the body of Christ really well, where we recognize that the vast majority of decisions we make and opinions we hold are related to secondary issues. And paired with our understanding of who we are as the body of Christ, we just loved each other and got along in some remarkable and supernatural ways. Imagine if this was true of Crossview Church week in and week out. Imagine the gospel witnesses, people looked at us and saw the way that we interacted with each other and looked at our social media accounts and only saw unity even in the midst of strong disagreement and a plethora of opinions. Imagine if we carried ourselves and spoke in such a way that people only saw kindness and love and respect even in disagreement. Division over issues not spoken of clearly in Scripture have absolutely no place in the body of Christ, no place in the church. We cannot be divided and stand. So, as you consider your place at Crossview Church, remember that you were called here to be united in one spirit, sharpening and challenging and encouraging and spurring one another on not to be divided and wave secondary banners and form tribes of people who look like you and think like you and act and behave like you do and make decisions just like you. You are one body, the body of Christ, made up of many parts, but united as one. What does it look like? What does this uh, body look like? What is it defined by its people gathering? Individuals created and gifted and wired in unique and complementary ways, gathering together to reflect God's glory and declare the saving power of Jesus in this community. Paul moves on to ask a couple more questions about the church as uh, he keeps going as we consider who God has called us to be. So first, he asks, what happens when we think we don't fit? Let's look back at verses 15 to 18. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted when we take the human body and look at it as Paul lays it out here, we can quickly see the absurdity of what's going on, right? If our feet were hands or our ears were eyes or, you know, any combination of those things, our bodies would very quickly become less functional than God intended them to be, right? If we only had eyes on our head and not ears or, or we only had hands and not feet or feet, and, like, we wouldn't be functional like we're supposed to be, right? We can see the point, but we do this all the time in the church. All the time we want to be something else. Students do it, right? They show up nervously to Apex on Wednesday nights because they're not sure if their particular personality fits. If only they were more outgoing or if only they were interested in this kind of music or that hobby. If only they were 
talented like he or she was, then they'd have something to contribute. Then they'd fit in with the rest of the group. Adults are no different, right? We get nervous about showing up to life groups or church on Sundays because people might see who we are and might see our particular brand of weird and they might say, ah, that person just doesn't fit. They just, they just don't fit. We think, we put these things, we put these expectations on ourselves, right? If only I was married, then I would fit. If only I was a mom like she is, then I would fit. If only I was more in shape like he is, then I would fit. If only I knew my Bible better or I grew up in a better home or I grew up in the church, I was able to carry on small talk easier. I was better at this or that or the other, right? All the time we do this. We've walked into settings with brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the same body, washed by the blood of Jesus and united, full of love and grace for one another. And we felt so nervous that we wouldn't fit because we're wired too differently to be there. We feel like we need to be something else in order to be valuable or to contribute. Paul confronts this insecurity and he paints it as nonsense. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Or an ear, where would the smelling be? Without the whole body, without every one of the parts that verse 18 uh, tells us God has arranged just as he wants, without every single part, we lose critical functionality. We lose the nose and we can't smell, right? We lose the eyes and we can't see the mouth and we can't speak or eat. We lose the hands and we can't touch anything or manipulate objects, right? We lose the feet and we can't walk or run. On and on it goes. And it makes so much sense to us when we look at the human body. Of course, if we lost a part or if we started switching things around, it's not going to work. If we were all the same part, we'd be a monstrosity, right? Imagine you leave and you go out to the foyer after service and there's this creature out there that's made up only of human eyes. Yikes, right? We'd We'd run in fear. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We think we have to be different than we are to be a better body. Believer, you are a valuable member of the body of Christ just as you have been created with your giftings and your ability and your background and even your rough edges and idiosyncrasies. You fit. You fit. You might not feel like it, but guess what? Everyone feels like that. Everyone feels like they don't fit from time to time, but God has arranged each part of this body just as he wanted. We all feel like this, right? We all want to be accepted and embraced as God created us. I'll let you know a secret. Even pastors at Crossview walk in on Sunday mornings sometimes and feel like, oh, am I going to fit today? Do I have, what? do I need to be a little different to be part of this body. We all feel like this. We all want to use our gifts in a way that will build up the church and proclaim the name of Jesus far and wide. And Paul says that you, each one of you, are essential to carrying out that mission. So take comfort. You may feel awkward. You may have some awkward interactions with people who you might not click with right away. and You might have to figure out how to interact with other parts of the body to be as effective as possible in carrying out the mission of the gospel. But you belong. God has called you to this local body at this particular time in history. What happens when we think we don't fit? We remind ourselves and we ask the spirit inside of us to remind us that we do 
God has called us and organized the body just as he wants. We fit. You fit. Everyone is needed. Second question, what happens when we think others don't fit? Let's look at verses 21 and 22. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. In the previous section, Paul has depicted parts that are alike uh, wanting to be each other, right? So like uh, these appendages, hands and feet wanting to be each other, and sensory parts, eyes and ears kind of want to switch place. But there's a subtle shift here. We have an eye, which is a sensory part, saying to a hand, I don't need you. And then we have the head, right, the control center of the whole thing, saying to the feet, one of the dirtiest parts uh, today and certainly in the first century, saying, uh, I don't need you, right? And as, as we look on the outside again, we see the absurdity of this, right? We, we see that if, we know that if uh, we, the eyes say to the hands, I don't need you, well, that's not going to work, right? If someone throws a ball, the eye can recognize all it wants that a ball is coming, but if we don't have a hand to catch it, we're going to take it to the face. Not going to be great. Uh, our, our head, likewise, right? We can have all these plans and ideas. I want to walk over here, and I tell my feet to do that. I want to walk over there, I tell my feet to do that. But if we don't have the feet, we're not going anywhere, right? It's not going to work. It's, it's nuts. But again, we do this as the church all the time. We think others aren't as important as we are or aren't as necessary for the mission of the gospel. Paul has shifted his address from taking on our own insecurities to tackling our issues of pride. We look at certain people, usually people who aren't like us or who challenge us in some way, and we think we could get along and be the church just fine without them. All right, we, for example, look at people who really care about excellence in worship, and we think, well, I would personally be fine if we just had a keyboard and a solo vocalist. Like, why, why do we need all these people up here practicing all the time to lead us in worship? Wouldn't it be better, actually, if they were out doing evangelism and, you know, telling people about Jesus? Or we look at people who are passionate about welcoming people in, who serve in our welcome ministries as greeters or ushers or cafe or whatever, and we think, well, why don't we just leave people alone? Just let them come in and interact if they want, and they don't really need to talk to anyone, right? I, I don't want to greet people. Why, why would we bother? And, well, and wouldn't it be better, actually, if those people were in Sunday school classrooms, teaching kids about Jesus and really telling them? On and on it goes, right? And when we look at it like that with these silly examples, uh, of course we know that it's important that the worship team spends time preparing to lead God's people in worship and that we have people welcoming at the door and serving coffee and greeting at the back as ushers. And it's easy to say, duh, I know that every person here is important and every gift is important. But there are subtle and sinister ways that this pride creeps into our lives. We, people, we see people doing things that we don't understand or that we're not interested in doing, and we start to devalue it little by little in our minds. We think, well, that's, that's wasteful. Why are they spending their time doing that? It's really not helping me, and so why, why would we spend time doing that? Why can't they be better at something else instead? Or why, you know, they have this little bit of gift, but why isn't it developed really far and they're really strong in serving this area? Well, here's the thing. You're not better or more useful or more needed because of your particular gift. In the body, as we work together to walk out the call of the gospel in our lives and 
uh, as a body made up of individual members, every single gift is important. So when that thought creeps into your head, when you look at your brother and sister and the thought of, they don't fit here. We don't really, need, it'd actually be better if they went somewhere else. When that thought begins to creep into your mind, reject it. It's garbage. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. They are a member of the body just like you, called by God to this local body at this time in history. Do they think differently? I sure hope so. I hope so. I hope they think and process and make decisions and do all sorts of things different than I do, different than you do. We're in big trouble if we're a body made up of only heads or eyes or hands who think they're better than everyone else. It's not going to work. Every part of the body matters, even those, especially those, that we think we don't need. Paul doubles down on this idea in verses 22 and 24 as he presses on this question of weaker parts. What about the weaker parts? Let's look at verses 22 to 24. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Paul, again, uses this illustration of the human body, right? And he points out some things that are obvious to us. The weaker parts, probably the internal organs here, are indispensable, right? Even though they're weak, they're indispensable. And even though we don't always understand them, they're indispensable. When we look at the hand, we can see what it does, right? Or the foot, we know what that does. But many of us have no idea what the gallbladder does. We know that you can get it removed and still function, but why? And like most of us have no idea, right? We know it exists, but what's the point? Most of us can't explain the intricacies of how kidneys work, but we know they're important, right? They do something with filtering blood and we need to have them, or at least one of them. Uh, most of us can't explain much about how our heart works other than some vague answer about there's like electricity and it causes contraction and blood pumps and then that works with the lungs and gets oxygen and right like we know that these things are there and important but uh, we, we don't always know how they work and yet we'd all agree that if we had to choose the hand this strong thing that can grab or the heart this weak thing that's easily damaged if we have to pick one to keep we're going to keep the heart right this weaker part we're going to keep those parts Paul goes on and says that are less honorable or are unrespectable, those parts in Paul's day are the same ones that are still taboo in ours, and yet they are the parts, he says, that we clothe with greater honor and that are treated with greater respect. Our most vulnerable body parts are afforded the most protection and care. Why? Because they need it. Because they need it. And so it goes with the body of Christ. He has put the body together giving greater honor to the less honorable. He's not talking about behavior here, not about you know, dishonorable, sinful behavior. He's talking about gifts and abilities. These are gifts that, uh, depending on 
what culture you're in, there are some gifts that are elevated above others, right? And it's usually culturally defined. Some would elevate speaking gifts, some serving gifts, some administrative gifts, some sign gifts or healing or, or singing or on and on and on, right? Depending on who you are, you think that certain gifts are more important or more beneficial than others. Paul says that those gifts that you, individual, making up the body, think are back burner, backstage, run-of-the-mill gifts, the ones that you devalue are actually indispensable. So, whether it's by arrogance or pride or ignorance or honest, innocent oversight, remember every gift, every personality type, every person is called by God and is here for his glory and your good to refine you, challenge you, encourage you, and to help this body, Crossview Church, be most effective in declaring his glory. Finally, and we'll wrap up with this, what's the point? What's the point? Well, verses 25 to 27 say this. So that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Paul reminds us of all of this for a few key reasons that he lays out here in these final verses. He says that God has put the body together so that there would be no division but concern for one another. So that if one suffers, all would suffer together. So that if one is honored, all would rejoice together. Why is it so important to recognize that we fit in, that others fit in, and that the gifts that seem less important to us are actually indispensable? Because we are the body, one body of Christ made up of individual members. The point of all that diversity in the body is not for diversity's sake, but for function. We cannot be all alike or we will fail in our mission to make disciples. How can we possibly show otherworldly love when we only interact with people just like us? How can we love our enemies when we don't disagree with anyone? Or how could we learn to handle conflict in a godly and loving way and work through disagreements when we don't disagree with anyone? How can we experience unity in diversity when we speak so strongly against secondary issues and we cut other believers out of our lives? Crossview Church is a local body of Christ made up of individual believers. And we have a call on us corporately as a group to take the gospel forth in our community. We need to be a people who, by the power of the Spirit, strive for what Paul describes in verses 25 to 27. Not divided, but united. Not divided, but united. It's not hard to look around the world and see division everywhere, right? And we'd be lying if we said we're not tempted to fall into that foolishness. We're encouraged to divide over so many things that are right at the front right now. Masks, vaccines, education, political parties, all sorts of things that the world wants us to divide over, to tear ourselves apart over. Church, we're not immune to this nonsense. We can't pretend like we are. And Paul isn't saying that we can't disagree with one another. On the contrary, he's saying when we disagree, we have to maintain unity. Unity so strong that we would be concerned over the well-being of the other party. It says we have to have that concern, that holy concern for one another so that people with different gifts and passions care for one another. 
That's how the church is supposed to work, right? We look at our church family and we see a need in the body and we identify it and we say, well, I have a gift that I could handle this or I have the means to handle this or the resources or the ability that I could help my brother or sister out. And so we meet those needs with our gifts for one another, whether that's serving on a Sunday or Sunday morning or it's helping a brother or sister out in a really practical way or, or just praying with people in the foyer. We meet the needs in difficult situations. We are better together. We've been designed to be one body working together. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all share joy. We bear one another's burdens together. We weep with one another. We pray for one another and care for one another and bring meals and we show up for each other. We build each other up in ways that alleviate suffering and that prepare us for suffering that will come. We become an unbreakable safety net, catching each other when we stumble and when we struggle, and especially when we fall into sin. When one suffers, we all suffer, and so we have to be there as the body of Christ for one another. And if one is honored, we all rejoice. We celebrate victories with each other. When someone has a spiritual win, we celebrate. We don't say, well, yeah, they did this, but you know, I know what they did last week, or I, I know who they really are. We celebrate victories. When one is honored, we celebrate together. There's no room in the Christian walk for jealous rivalries. Instead, we press each other onward and upward towards Jesus, rejoicing and celebrating and cheering one another on in this life and in our walk with Jesus. We have to be a people who are united, concerned for one another, and who suffer and rejoice together as one body. So Crossview Church, who are you? You are the body of Christ, gloriously made up of individual members with unique personalities and gifts and weaknesses and strengths and abilities, each brought here together by God to be used for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of your church gathered together and called the body of Christ. We ask that you would work powerfully in our midst to bring unity and value and a sense of belonging among all the individuals that make up this local body. Use us to declare the glorious truth of the gospel here. Lord, we love you and we thank you for calling us into a relationship with you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We lift your name high this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.